We have another guest speaker with us today. This man has a practical down-to-earth style that brings the word to life in real ways that we can identify with. Would you please welcome Pastor Dan Stewart. I always know what year it is because I come once a year, so it's always during this period of time. Did you have Larry Powers last week? Isn't he fantastic? Yeah, he's been a personal friend for, uh, man, 32 years, 35 years now, and um, I wished I could have been here just to hear him. But uh, last year when I had come, I told you I was, we had done the uh, seven churches, we were building an eighth church, and God had provided, and that was it, and the door was closing for me, and younger people were going to take over. Hey, Connie and I signed up for Medicare this week, so... <laughs> We're in, we're in business now. This is a good deal. How many know that when you think you're done, God has other ideas? Yeah, yeah. Well, on uh, a couple of months after I spoke here, it was in uh, September, we got a letter or an email from uh, Kenya. And it's, I'm not even going to get into the story because it's too long. But one of our Foursquare churches was taken by the government and given to another individual through a lawsuit. It's a big mess. The church had nothing to do with it, but they lost their, their building. Not one that we had built, but it had been there for years. And so they wrote me a note saying, and they call me Ndugu, Ndugu Dan, is there anything that you can do for us? And the account was closed. There was no more money. We spent it all. Jesus is uh, provided for all those other churches. And I, I told Connie, I said, this is a mess. And I just did a, a three-second, Jesus helped those people. Amen. And uh, got in my car, drove down. We live in Lake Arrowhead. So I drove down the mountain. And it was on the freeway. And I got a phone call. And a lady gave me a phone call who had been a donor in the past, and she said, thank you for the note you sent me, and I'd send her a little uh, thing that I bought for her, and she says, I'm just so grateful, but she said, the reason I'm calling you is that Jesus told me you have a project. I'm, I'm talking 25 minutes later. Jesus told me. That's how she said it to me. Jesus told me you have a project. And I, I said, yeah, I do. And I explained to her what it was. She goes, well, how much do you think you'll need? And I said, to put a, a wood building with a corrugated tin roof and buy them new property, about $20,000. She goes, I'll write the check. She writes the check. All right. So I'm crying on the freeway. Called my wife and I'm crying. Called uh, a friend, another donor, crying. Just said, I can't believe how God has provided this. And well, she goes, well, how much to do a brick building, a nicer building? And I said, well, that'll be 15000 more. She goes, I'll write the check. So in about an hour <laughs> of these people asking, could you help, we were able to have enough money to buy their land and to build them a new building. And uh, it's under phase two right now. The, the block is up. In fact, maybe next service, I forgot to pull that one off. Or maybe I'll put it up so you can see the building under construction that they're doing. So only God can do that. I want to talk this morning about when your position is not enough. 
when your position isn't enough. Now, positions can be two things. One, it can be, it can be a job. It can be where you work. It can be whatever that may be that you are. But a position can also be something. Have you watched any of the debates that are starting for the presidents? The positions, they go everywhere. And in fact, they change when the wind changes. Then their position changes. And um, so we're, and we're, we get a year and a half more of that, folks. So um, when, when, we, when we think about how positions change and that God sometimes puts you in a place that is out of your position, it's out of your control, it's not what you would have wanted, you didn't desire it, you didn't look for it, and your position at work, you've been passed over, it, it didn't go the way you wanted it to go, all of those kinds of things. If you can remember faith, hope, and love, we're going to associate those with sometimes in your life when your position is not enough. Several years ago, Connie and I, we had a friend, Pete Whitworth. And Pete Whitworth, there are people in this world who are dog people, and there are people in this world that are not so much dog people. We're the not so much dog people. And so um, I've had, we've had a couple of dogs. They were both demonized. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually gave a dog away to a family. They took the dog and brought the dog back the next day. No kidding. That's how bad that dog was. But anyway, we won't talk about that. But um, our friend Pete Whitworth loved his dog, and it had ran away. And so uh, he had called me up and said, if there is a God, where's my dog? And that's exactly what he would say. He was from England, and... Liverpool and had this, you know, he could hardly understand him. But where's my dog? And, and um, I had said, well, let me pray for you. Well, Connie had left and drove seven miles, about seven miles from our house to Albertson's to go to the store. And standing in the doorway was a white dog sitting in front of her. Now, you have to understand, she'd never seen Pete's dog. She has no idea what Pete's dog was. But she's seven miles away and walks in. Now, my, here's another thing my wife would never do. She would never pick up a stray dog. That's not going to happen. It just, you know, you're on your own, buddy. Hope you make it. Um, but she was not going to get a dog in her car anyway. She calls me up and she says, I think I found his dog. Where are you? Seven miles away, it's sitting in front of me at Albertson's, in front of the door. It was Pete's dog. And when we brought him back, it was like, I said, that was so out of her position on dogs. You don't talk to them. You don't look at them. You know, and you certainly don't pick them up. But that's so witness to him. It was probably one of the greatest acts of faith of somebody who went out of their position to do something that was right. And, and you know, whether you watch movies, whether it's, it's uh, any of the Lord of the Rings series, you found out that the poor hobbits, they're small and a little dense, but God used them. And if it was any of us, we all have a place where you're just simply out of time um, or you're Looks are not good enough. My looks have faded years ago, if I ever had any. But Connie, you're as beautiful as you always have been. 
Yes. When your money is not enough, I'll tell you, retirement is not for the faint of heart. And uh, when you look at your finances, you go, God will have to do a miracle. And that's okay. He does. When I don't have enough. Today, we're going to look at a person's life. I just got back from where he spent a long time. I just got back from Egypt. So we, in fact, what we did is we covered the seven stopping places of Israel in the wilderness. We went to Rephidim. We went to um, uh, outside of Cairo where, they, where the pyramids are the, of Giza and followed the footsteps, and we called it Moses to the Messiah. And we went from Egypt all the way up through Sinai, crossed the Red Sea, went into Jordan, saw Petra, crossed from Jordan. We went to the place where Moses saw the promised land but wasn't able to cross over. We were, thank goodness, we were able to cross over into Israel. And, and so we, we just did this particular part. And, and go ahead and show this picture. Um, <laughs> this is a typical tourist picture. But um, notice the pyramids um, in, in the background. And though the Israelites did not build those pyramids, I I'm absolutely have to tell you, when you go and look at archaeological structure, the blocks in that pyramid are somewhere around four feet by eight feet. I'm not talking, we're not talking mud bricks, folks. We're talking blocks that they built these, and each of these were for one pharaoh. So when they died, they buried uh, the pharaoh in those. And from there, we were able to just be able to talk about what they would have seen, what was there at the time. And that's what's uh, so fascinating to me about Moses. And so we're going to talk today about the life of Moses, and especially when your position is not enough. And so we're going to look at somebody who runs out of time. He can't speak well. He's not good at it. Um, he's murdered another person and ran into hiding. He's been lost, really, for 40 years in the wilderness. And we did hike Sinai to Mount Horeb, the same mountain that Moses addressed, the ten, addressed God and received the Ten Commandments. Got up at midnight and rode a camel for two hours. And then we hiked it so we could be there for sunrise. It's a one-time thing, folks. You don't do it more than once. <laughs> so um, anyway, Moses doesn't even become effective till he's 80. Yeah. Somebody once said, in fact, it was Jess Moody who said this. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was really somebody. 40 more years learning he was nobody, and 40 more years learning that God uses nobodies. That's a good thing. Remembering our position. So the first one, faith. Faith. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, New Testament, and um, give us in the hall of faith a rundown of Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. And it's right there, almost by the book of James. Hebrews chapter 11, 23 through 29. And here's what it says. 
23 through 29. It goes, by faith, Moses' parents hid him three months after he was born because he was no ordinary child. Come on. Anybody had kids? When your kids were born, they were no ordinary kids, were they? They were extraordinary. Yes, they were, Gordon. They were extraordinary. And so you look at it, you go, no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict, which was to destroy male children. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures uh, for a short time. He regarded disgrace as the sake of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he um, saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Pharaoh, his um, name from Phra, F-P-H-R-A, is a derivative, and you could say that his name means uh, destroyer. Destroyer. Also taken from the word Ra, or son. So they believed that Pharaoh was the incarnation of God, and he was or became the son. And um, a, a fascinating uh, attempt for people to take men and create gods from them. That's why they had pyramids only for one Pharaoh. That's why they had these elaborate embalming places only for that one Pharaoh. When they embalmed that Pharaoh, they destroyed the whole thing that they had built uh, because it was only for one individual. And by the way, not one ever has been found, if you will, a, a place of burial has ever been found, and that's King Tut. Everything else was always stripped, and because there was so much gold, there was so much stuff, people, grave robbers went in and took everything um, over a period of time and just left the rocks. Um, so we know that he had and was taken um, as from the Jordan Jochebed, which was um, his mother, Moses' mother, put the boy in an ark and floated him down the Nile River. And you got to ask, what parent would even consider that? But she instilled within him something profound, real faith. And it says that, it says, now paid, if you will, they will come. And because the, the baby was taken out by Pharaoh's daughter, who kept the child and now got Jochebed to come and care for the child. So she got paid to raise her own child. I would like to have done that. <laughs> Just a picture of a mom laying a child in the Nile. It has faith. And she's going to be picked up by a foreigner, by a stranger, by an idolater. And it says that the adopted son of the princess stepped in to a whole new world. He was given a new name, Moses. Moses is a, a blending of Egyptian and Hebrew together, meaning that which is a, a son of Egypt, 
but also one who was drawn out, one who was taken out of the Nile. He didn't bear the name until it was given to him, and it became his choice. Every day we have choices to either serve God or not, to follow him or not, to be obedient to him or not. I can tell you when I was 20 years old, 19, I gave my life to the Lord, and at 20 I was in Africa because I said yes, and that's 43 years ago. Some of you in this room need to say yes. You just need to say yes. And you're going to ask yourself the first thing, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. The first thing that always happens when you say yes to God is you come up with excuses. That's the first things out of our mouths of why we can't do that. But a saving act in the of flight and faith. I'll tell you, sometimes you have to run when things don't go well. And Moses had killed somebody. He had to get out of there. And there's sometimes that's the only way that you can bear up what needs to happen is flee that situation. Sometimes we have to flee relationships. Sometimes we have to flee um, uh, drug addiction. Sometimes we have to flee alcoholism, um, a flight to flee these things. But take courage. God has a new position for you coming up. And those positions are very different from the ones you probably give up. And it means to make a run for it. I got to be able to do this. And that's why he, became, he becomes the son of Pharaoh. Now, we don't believe, according to Josephus, Pharaoh had any sons, so he had no heirs. So Moses began to be the heir of Egypt. It would just unbelievable. And that's why when we come to this place that God is going to, to deal with the enemies of Moses, which are the Egyptians. When you've exhausted your talent, when you've exhausted your abilities, when you've exhausted your opportunities, two, rethink your position in hope. Rethink your position in hope. Let's go back now to Exodus chapter 2 and look at verse 10. Exodus 2 verse 10, and we'll have a lot more reading about what happens with Mr. Moses in this particular time frame. Chapter 2, verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him became part of that family. And it seems his position was secure. It was, it was everywhere it was supposed to be. Acts chapter 7, verses 20 through 22. I don't know if it's up there or not. Let's see. Click it one more time. Try it. One, oh, maybe it's not. Okay. Acts chapter 7, verses 20 through 22. A lot of Bible today. This is Stephen in the book of Acts talking to the people who were going to stone him about the history of Israel. And so part of that history is Moses. And so in chapter, um, Acts chapter 7, verses 20 through 22, he says this. At that time, Moses was born. He was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house, and he was placed outside. 
Pharaoh's daughter, took him and brought him up as her own son. Now Moses, don't miss this, he was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. So Stephen says Moses had it together because he went to Pyramid U. These people, this is a book called uh, Then and Now. So it has pictures of what something looks like then, and then you flip this over, and they show you what it would have looked like from their best ideas. That's what the pyramid that you saw me looking at, they said the pyramids were all painted. They, had all, they were all designed, and they were marvelous. I mean, there, there's nothing like what, Egypt was able to do when you see some of the things that they built, how they put it together. They created um, a, a written language that's it's almost impossible to decipher. I mean, it's that, it, and they used images to be able to pull that off. And they realized that God was going to use Moses in such a way that even Moses didn't understand and neither did they. But from the narrative, we find out that he's educated to the top of his class. I mean, he is given every opportunity. And we know that there's not a single room house that he's going to live in. It's going to have a lot of rooms of where he goes to. A lot of people are going to say yes, sir, to him. He's going to have anything and every opportunity that somebody could even dream about. He's going to be given protocol. He's going to be given lifestyle. He's going to be given culture. And this says he has all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's why it was basically the Oxford of the known world at that particular time. And that's why the language had scenery and mediums and buildings and chemistry and law. And yes, ladies, makeup. They loved makeup and um, had the ability to, that's why they spent so much time embalming and trying to preserve the body. And this was no party school. This was a fact that he had to come to be mighty in word and in action. And that's why we find this influence of what happens in Moses' life, that his position is set. This guy has everything he wants, but there's a problem when your calling collides with the fact of what God has for your position. So whatever your position is, sometimes that calling is going to come in and completely change your world. And God has the ability of doing that. And in fact, the Bible is filled with situations that are, that are so ridiculous that we say, God must be the God of the ridiculous. Come on, let's face it. I want you to cross the Jordan, but before you cross it, I want you to stick your toes in it because it's gonna, I'm going to part the waters. Sure you are. Does that sound ridiculous to anybody? How about this one? Jericho will fall. All you have to do is yell. Sure. That's why in the desert of no position, Moses is replaced and given a new position. After killing the Egyptian, he has to run until he runs to Horeb. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Back to where we began to read. Exodus chapter 2. 11 through 15, which continues the life of Moses, or what's beginning with Moses. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, 
And he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them do hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that, seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked, what was wrong? Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have been made known. He's in trouble. Moses will run, but he will not run singing, I did it my way. <laughs> he is going to run, and he's going to find out that God's going to say, you're going to do it my way. And maybe you could say, I worked hard. I've been faithful, but I've been passed over for so many things. I lived in the desert 40 years. Yes, I was raised in Lancaster. <laughs> yeah, I still remember this. Uh, we, I was driving in my car, and it was 117. It happened to be one of those really nice days. 117, and the guy in the new the radio is going, folks, it's 117, and the radio went just blank for like 30 seconds. There was no noise, and all of a sudden the guy comes back on. He goes, "We're all gonna die!" Yeah, because like <laughs> the desert. But Moses will go to the desert, and I really like this. God will never forsake anybody who will follow Him in the sand. He's just not going to do it. Moses will stop and find something transforming. And it will be something that will change him. And that God will meet with him. So once again with me, let, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. And we pick up the story once again in, in verse 4. And it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over uh, to look at this burning bush, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, St. Catherine's Monastery is in Sinai. We stayed there, stayed the night there. In that monastery, they have some of the oldest manuscripts of the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's absolutely phenomenal. You could just spend days looking through the ancient texts that they have access to. But while I was there at St. Catherine's, um, there is a tree over in one corner of St. Catherine's. Now, St. Catherine's has been there since 200 AD. And this is, this is much, much older than that. They said the bush has been rated at about 4,000 years old. Now, I'm talking Sinai and I'm talking rocks. There is nothing anywhere. Nothing grows. It's just dirt and rocks. They said they believe, by tradition, that's the bush the tree that Moses saw. It is undying for almost 4,000 years. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But they say they never water it, they never do anything to it, and it thrives. So nobody knows why it's been there or how long it's been there, and that's why the monastery was actually built around this particular tree. So, hey, it's in the same location, it's close, and you have to spend about $5,000 to go look at it. So... 
It was at least worth the time. So he goes, Moses says, here I am. And he says um, to him these statements. He says, uh, don't come any closer. Take off the sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses fell on his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, now I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because they've been slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up into a land of good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, uh, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, uh, the Jebusites, and all the other sites. Now, the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians, who are the oppressors of them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, uh, who, who am I that I would go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, it, I will be with you. And this will be a sign that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, and you will worship God on this mountain. All right. So Moses has this conversation with God, and God has a new calling for him. I love this from Sir Winston Churchill. He says, success is moving from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. Yeah. So in this new college desert experience, he's going to major in the first thing called obscurity. No one's going to know who... Have you ever asked God, do you really know me? Do you remember my name? I did that a lot when I was in the desert. Do you remember me? And his second minor is going to be in discomfort. Always remember that Jesus' first temptation was in the wilderness and that he doesn't do it alone. So Moses comes to this place and Moses begins with all great positions from God. Excuses. Excuses. In this place, in this church, I promise you that God is asking some of you to respond to him. And the first things out of your mouth is excuses of why that's impossible, why that position is not yours, why this can't be. That's why, can you hear him? God, I've killed a man. Don't you know that? You want me to deliver the Israelites? And God says, no, I don't want you to deliver them. I'm going to deliver them. I just want you to do it with me. You're not going to do it. I'm not crazy. He just wants you to be with him, to trust him. Moses knew right there, I'm not going to be able to talk God out of this. Ever tried to talk God out of what he's asked you to do? We'll have a little conversation. And it doesn't ever work out, but you at least attempt it. 
well, I can't talk God out of this, so here's some of the excuses that Moses came up with. See if you're familiar with you. Uh, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> and here's God's response to that. Then you'll just simply have all of me. I am everything you need. I am the beginning and the end. I am. Lord, I, I'm not respected by anyone. No one respects me anymore. My position's not enough. They don't believe me. And here's God's response. <laughs> They're going to believe you. No one is going to leave you. Not on my watch. And Moses even tries this one. I don't speak very well. No one's going to listen to me. I stink at this. Sorry, you'll understand if I don't want to go. And the Lord will say this. You can't plan it. You can't prepare for it. But I will be your proclamation. I will speak on your behalf. Well, I'm not qualified. I'm out of my league. And you could use every excuse you want. We have mortgages. I have a job. I have kids. I've got debt. I've got a past. I didn't go to school for this. Gosh, Lord, I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> God will simply say, it, it's okay. I still want you. All of you. And the day that changed Moses' life, the day it changed him, in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, it simply says this. Then the Lord, he said, he said to Moses, see, I've made you like a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You're to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, they will not listen to you. I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment, and I will bring out my divisions and my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them, and Moses was mighty. It was 80 years old, and Aaron, 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. 80 and 83, you'd think you'd be done by then. And they came to this place where Pharaoh was unyielding, meaning his heart was hardened. And the position of Moses had been passed over. But this position that God was bringing him was going to bring blessing upon blessing. And finally, we know the story that they are allowed to leave. Of course, the enemy pursues, God covers them with water, and then starts the seven journeys 
are the seven stops of Israel. In fact, in, um, if you do a great study, and you should study Israel in the book of Exodus, one of their stops, it says that they wanted water so bad they were griping and complaining, and he says God stopped them at a place that there were 12 springs with 12 tribes, one for each tribe, and 70 palm trees. It was a, an oasis. You can go to Egypt today, and two of those springs still have water. So it makes the Bible, when you read it, it becomes, it becomes so real because they're very exacting about where they stayed, and you can find, you can go right there. So thirdly, renewing our position, love. Just simply love. Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. Exodus 13, 17 and 18. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Do you know what God does with you sometimes? He puts you in a place that you can't go anywhere else. There's nowhere to go. Um, we would call that a rock in a hard place. Up a creek without a paddle. In a pickle. A catch-22. You're back against the wall. All is lost. And they head south because the desert is to the west and Egypt to the north. And before them... The Red Sea, what do you do? Moses says, well, well, let's go back. Maybe it's not so bad in Egypt. But you have three choices. Go back, stand still, or go forward. There's no getting around what Moses is going to have to do with the children of Israel. It's just going to have to take place. Love is the only place you and I can run to and find acceptance. The love of God. It covers everything. And that's why love will also strengthen you. It also breaks habits. It's the key to dependence on God and Him alone. Realize something, that God loves you so immensely. There's absolutely nothing you can do in your life for Him to love you more. Do you know you'll never earn His love? You could serve Him all your life and He doesn't love you any more than He already did before you were ever saved. The love of God is what envelops everything that he is. Without love, we're lost. It's dependence on him. There was a guy named Chester Poultler. He's a U.S. Marine Corps. And by the way, for those of you who served in the armed forces, this week is the 4th of July. I want to say a big thank you to all who have served your country. And we should always hesitate for a moment and be grateful for the freedoms that we have because I've been in a whole lot of countries that do not have those kinds of freedoms. So in the 4th of July, always uh, say a, a thankfulness for where we are and, and what God has given us. And somebody say amen. 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 Great. Chester Puller, uh, he led his troops into a position surrounded by the enemy. And it says... A north platoon flanked him on both sides till he was completely surrounded. Here's what he said to his troops. 
this is outstanding, boys. They'll never get away this time. <laughs> when your position fails, love will prevail. Love changes our directions. Moses, the son of Pharaoh, becomes a deliverer of God. When his position had failed, God gave him a new position. And I want you to remember, it's not your talent, it's not time, money, wisdom. When it's all run out, trust that faith, hope, and love will put you where you need to be. Amen? Okay. I, there's a song I've been listening to this week, and it just, it just seemed to fit. So we're just going to let you, I'm not going to listen to all of it, but I'm going to let you listen to the beginning. And um, let God speak to you through it, and then I'll come back up, and we'll dismiss. plans again There you go shifting my sands again For reasons I don't understand again Lately I don't have a clue It's just when I start liking what I see There you go changing my scenery And I never know taking me but I'm trying just to follow you it's out of my hands it's out of my reach it's over my head and it's out of my league there's too many things that I don't understand so it's into your will and it's out of my again showing me right where you are again and I'm helpless and that's where I start again I'm giving it all up to you it's out of my hands it's out of my reach it's over my head and it's out of my Don't you think that fit my message? <laughs> so did I. Would you pray with me? Lord, when things are out of our reach, out of our hands, out of our league, Moses must have felt the exact same way when you called him at older time in life to follow you the invisible God to a land that he would never possess. But he had to follow you. 
Lord, I just pray that you would work with each of us in these callings that we have every excuse in the world. I'm, I'm too old. I don't have enough money. I can't do this. And, and whatever excuse we can come up with. And you just come back every time and go, it's not you. It, it's, it's me. I'll, I'll be there. You don't have to worry about that. I, I've got that covered. Don't concern yourself with that. Just follow me. As you spoke to the disciples and simply said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's never about the money. It's about our willingness to be used. Lord, what an example the Bible has given us in Moses. When your position is completely lost and you're nobody, what you can do with us. So Lord, if there happens, first of all, to be anybody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, no greater joy no greater freedom as it is when you walk in Christ. Right where you're seated, you could ask him, Lord, forgive me of my sin. And he who loves you with an everlasting love will come take residence in your life and guide you. It is his promise. If you're also here and you'd say, I've been struggling a little bit with what I feel like God is speaking to me, don't be afraid. There have been others who have gone before you and marked the path and told him he's trustworthy. He will get you there. And so, Lord, I give you so many thanks for Antioch, for the pastors here that serve so faithfully, and for the goodness of God who loves us immensely. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said...